Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Sustainable Investing Perspectives on the UBS Conversations podcast channel. Joining me for the conversation today, glad to welcome Amantia Muhadini, Sustainable Investing Strategist Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office, as well as Dan Rorty, Chief Investment Officer for Sustainable Thematic Equities for Alliance Bernstein or AB. Dan, I will point out, is also a member of the UBS Research Advisory Board. Now, our conversation today will focus in part on how the sustainable investing space is riding the momentum of 2020, a challenging year in many respects, though one which saw notable investor demand for sustainability-linked investments. So, Amantia and Dan, it's great to be on the podcast with you both today and looking forward to our conversation. Thanks. Very happy to be here. Yeah, great to be here. Uh, And thanks for having us. Absolutely. So, uh, Dan, to get things started, I think back to the year 2020, as I pointed out, a very challenging on many fronts, though we did see record growth in sustainable investments. So from your vantage point, Dan, what have been some of the biggest changes to the sustainable investment space over the past year? Yeah, well, thanks for that. Um, So there there are a lot of things we could choose from. 2020 was was a really interesting year. Um, But I think the biggest thing to me if I reflect back, was really the acceleration in the mainstreaming of sustainability that occurred among investors. Um, you know, we, we've always held that, that historically a lot of investors um, held onto this notion of shareholder primacy, that companies exist for the sole purpose of enriching their owners and that, that all corporate decisions should just be viewed through this, you know, simple lens of whether it makes my shareholders better off or not. And in that sense, economic issues and social issues were always seen as being very separate and distinct from each other. Um, that's one of the reasons that we've all spent so much time debating whether investing sustainability costs you performance because sustainability was somehow seen as different or, or maybe even the opposite of, of financial growth or success. And 2020, that concept of shareholder primacy was really put to the test. Um, you know, we all know that we faced and continue to face a very serious health issue with COVID, serious economic issue, um, serious social uh, issues, the Black Lives Matter um, movement, for example, as we really dealt with a lot of um, inequalities of, of, of different types. And then, of course, climate issues and then the climate crisis. So I think it became really clear to investors that it's impossible to separate economic analysis from social analysis. Um, and then to really put an exclamation point on all of that, the fact that in the first quarter during one of the sharpest bear markets that we've ever had, um, it was the companies that had stronger ESG practices, companies that took a more stakeholder-oriented view, those were the ones that outperformed. Um, so I think 2020 showed a lot of investors that sustainable companies were really um, often less risky, more resilient. Um, better connected to some really big and powerful growth trends. Um, and it helped a lot of investors really reconsider what sustainability is all about and, and the role that it can play in portfolios. So, so to me, I think that that change in attitudes and that acceleration in the mainstreaming of sustainability was one of the, the really the most important changes that we saw throughout 2020. Well, I, I couldn't agree more with everything that Dan laid out, really. Um, I think uh, looking at the data, the, a lot of the, the 2020s helped to, to bust a lot of the myths around uh, possibly there being a trade-off between performance and considering sustainability issues in investments and in allocation and processes. Um, I mean, the fact that, and this is even before the 2020 fully when, went into um, its cycle, so, so U.S. SIF, uh, 
uh, published data a few months ago noting that by the end of 2019, beginning of 2021, in $3 professionally managed in, in the U.S. were invested in strategies which incorporated ESG topics. So that really points to um, ESG and sustainability going towards the mainstream, and now we'll see how this how the data shakes out. But all of the early indicators that we have, looking backwards towards the last year, really shows that that from month to month, each month was setting new records in terms of asset flows in in strategies that incorporate ESG, regardless of how you how you cut it, regardless of how you define um, the level of ESG integration or incorporation for these strategies. And so that was truly remarkable. And I think. Um, you know, adding on to Dan's points on how investors started to realize that sustainability issues are material, uh, they have an actual impact on potential company performance in the long term, and, and therefore they started uh, considering it in their investments. We've also seen this validated from the government side, where um, governments across the world really started packaging and, and putting together their COVID-19, their you know crisis response packages were put together in light of our kind of global, more longer-term existential threats such as climate change. And so we, we saw the European Union leading with that, but also... Um, the U.S. with the incoming administration signaling that that will be um, another sort of um, important, important component that will be considered, not just the, the near-term crisis that we face, but really this long-term threat. And um, we've seen, again, Dan mentioned the, the performance that we saw and how these strategies held up through the bear market. Um, one, one example, just to kind of give a little bit more data around that, is um, if we look at the uh, MSCI uh, KLD 400 social index, which is one longstanding uh, socially responsible index. Um, if we compare it to the S&P 500 performance over the last year, we saw that it, it uh, delivered returns that were three points higher than the S&P 500. So really, this is one example, but over the most part, we've seen this uh, outperformance or at the very least comparable performance in equities. And uh, this is true across fixed income as well. So in, in 2020, um, green social and sustainability labeled bonds, being, and these are just to, to you know, uh, take a step back, these are bonds where the use of proceeds is specifically earmarked to fund either environmental or social or broadly sustainable projects. Um, so the, the number of bonds that were issued in 2020 really set a new high watermark. Uh, we saw over 400 billion U.S. dollars of issuance, um, of which around 215 billion were green bonds. And the social and sustainability bonds were, were really kind of um, almost innovations that we saw in the fixed income segment over 2020, pointing to not just growth and allocation um, towards these um, ESG, quote-unquote, labeled bonds, but also how we're seeing um, increased innovation coming from the market and thinking about how to connect uh, sustainability challenges with, with the financing mechanisms and private markets, really. Thank you for that, Amanti. I know green bonds, you mentioned, is one of the themes outlined in the most recent Sustainable Investing Perspectives publication. And another theme, this ties in very nicely, actually, with my next question. And Dan, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this as well with respect to the new composition 
of the U.S. government. So we have this light blue wave outcome that ended up materializing. Dan, do you see there being any major changes to sustainable investment themes? And with respect specifically to the Biden administration, will that, Dan, have a meaningful influence on the sustainable investing space, let's say, over the next two to four years? Yeah. Okay. So, so thanks. That's, you know, obviously, you know, incredibly topical right now. Um, so I, you know, I, I think that by itself, the, the, the change in the U.S. administration, you know, in some sense, it doesn't really fundamentally change the sustainable investment, um, landscape or the themes that, that we would look at and find attractive. Um, those themes all have incredibly powerful long-term and, and importantly global um, drivers behind them. So, you know, uh, sometimes I like to simplify it. Just think of the fact that in the first half of this century, we might see the global population grow by, you know, almost 60%. That's a lot of people to feed, uh, provide water for, to house, to educate, to find decent work for, uh, right? The list goes on and on. And, and that's really what sustainability and sustainable investing is, is all about. So, you know, in some sense, who gets elected for the next four years in the, in the U.S. isn't really going to fundamentally alter some of those long-term um, uh, trajectories or those long-term tailwinds behind sustainable themes. Um, but that's not to say that the blue wave and, and the Biden administration, um, you know, isn't important. Of course, it's important who leads the, 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 the U.S. government. Um, one thing that it can really do I think is augment those powerful long-term opportunities that we see with some shorter-term regulatory support, which which can clearly be important. Um, and in that sense, of course, the, the change to the Biden administration is, is clearly a positive development for investors who care about social impact. Um, I, I, you know, I mentioned before the difference between shareholder primacy and stakeholder primacy. So, you know, just to maybe come back to that for a second, um, I, I do think that with this blue wave and with the Biden um, election, we are seeing a pretty important shift in our government from maybe a more shareholder-friendly orientation to a more stakeholder-friendly orientation. This is very much a stakeholder presidency now. Um, over the last four years, um, I think it's fair to say that we saw things like lower taxes and lower regulations, um, and an emphasis actually even on the level of the stock market as a gauge for the health of the country, right? We saw that that quite frequently, you know, and that sounds very shareholder-oriented. Um, and by contrast, I think we can look at some of the executive orders that President Biden signed on his first day, <laughs> within the first few hours of, of uh, after the inauguration, right? They have a very different focus, uh, of a more of a stakeholder focus, and that should benefit a lot of the sustainable themes. So let me, you know, I'll mention a few of them. Within the general category of climate, um, you know, already, you know, we've rejoined the Paris Accord. We've revoked the permit for the Keystone Pipeline. We've reversed rollbacks on vehicle emission standards. So sustainable themes like cleaner energy, sustainable transportation, right? Those are obvious beneficiaries in, in the short term. Um, within the category of health, we've reinstated ties with the World Health Organization. Uh, and, you know, Dr. Fauci, who, you know, has become a real celebrity who a lot of people love, um, he's going to be the envoy. He's going to lead that delegation. Um, we've also restored a global health and biodefense directorate position back to the National Security Council that had been removed in the prior administration. Um, so sustainable themes like medical innovation and expanding access to quality health care, right, those are clearly going to benefit. Um, and then there were another group of, of executive actions that, that were um, oriented towards 
maybe the broader themes of equality and rights. Um, we reversed the ban on federal agencies holding diversity and inclusion training. Um, uh, Biden ended the so-called Muslim ban, um, restored DACA, um, extended a federal moratorium on evictions, right? Again, you know, a, a, a big list. So themes like financial inclusion and security, um, education and employment resources, right? These are things that are going to be beneficiaries. So, um, you know, I think we'll certainly have to debate the, the, the efficacy of a lot of these measures and, and, and think about the short-term and the long-term um, economic benefits or costs of, of what the new administration is looking to do. And, and look, there are going to be both of those, you know, things. But one thing that's, that's very clear to us is that, you know, again, we're seeing a very meaningful shift towards a more stakeholder-oriented administration. And, you know, while that may not alter the fundamental longer-term trajectory of sustainable investment themes, which is already positive. Um, in the short term, in the short term, I do think it can actually provide a nice, um, a nice boost with with more supportive regulation. Thank you for that, Dan. And Amati, I'm curious to get your thoughts. As I mentioned, I know within the most recent Sustainable Investing Perspectives piece, you do spend a quite a bit of time talking about the mandates, the implications of the new administration, the new composition of Congress, what that means for SI on a going forward basis. So, what can you share with us there? Sure, happy to. And and once again, I mean, happy to say that we're we're very much aligned with with what Dan just remarked upon. And I'll I'll just take a pause here and and kind of reflect back on the fact that that as we were writing about the possible outcomes of the election and the way that it would impact um, uh, sustainable investing strategies prior to the November fourth election, our view was that the if whether we had a status quo outcome or whether we had a a blue wave, which was the sort of the other more likely expected outcome at the time, uh, the the effect, uh, in our view, broadly on sustainable investing strategies would be neutral to slightly positive, meaning um, that uh, we we you know we agree with. Um, Ben's remarks here that a lot of these trends that are driving and supporting, be it um, sustainability-linked uh, investment themes or more broadly ESG leader-type strategies and 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 anything that ultimately would help create a, a diversified, sustainable investing portfolio, all of these are, are underpinned by longstanding um, trends that are global, as Dan mentioned, but also just kind of a broader shift in in uh, the societal mindset, a broader shift in the way that investors are realizing how these um, ESG issues are actually financially material. So all of these things do not change, and they do not change with uh, the this blue sweep, this light blue uh, election outcome that, that we currently have. Um, and yet, again, would agree that, that still we think that this outcome will be positive, at least in the short term. It will be in particular supportive for um, environmentally or climate change linked uh, themes. And, and we've classified those as green tech. And, and, you know, some I would mention underneath our green tech are um, smart mobility or energy efficiency or renewables. Um, so we, we saw already uh, with the December COVID-19 stimulus bill, which was clearly not not under the current Congress. It was approved under the prior Congress. Even in that bill, there were um, some significant um, areas of, of legislative and kind of stimulus support um, to in support of of 
water, of renewables, of energy efficiency uh, type industries. And so that, if, if anything, was a good signal that what we expect now with the incoming government and um, the control of the legislative ag- uh, agenda that the Democratic Party has of, of Congress is to uh, see a, a further upward tick in this type of regulatory but also legislative and fiscal, fiscal support for these themes. Um, and then, then I would, I would also add again, kind of echoing, um, all that we've discussed so far that in addition to the environment and climate change being really top of mind, I mean, the U.S., uh, as of yesterday kind of re-opted to rejoin the Paris Climate Agreement, which, uh, means that this really large, the world's largest economy is now joining the other 200 nations that are committing to the, to tackling climate change. That, um, is symbolic and it also has signaling impact uh, in terms of how um, investors and, and individuals and corporates understand these sustainability issues to really continue to be important. Um, similarly, the executive orders around uh, racial equity and diversity, although the ones that were signed yesterday were specifically uh, tasking the federal government to look for uh, at these issues within its ranks, um, they still are a strong signal and they really kind of join and support this crescendo of investor voices that we've seen over the last year, in particular in light of the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, for more transparency, for more accountability on issues of diversity and racial equity. Um, so overall, I think um, the, 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 the signaling will also help and support um, not just within the U.S., um, kind of the, the, the changes and, and it will benefit these companies that are already doing well, that are already ESG leaders in these topics, but will also help with uh, the kind of the global environment and global alignment on uh, sustainable investing, on regulation, on on and potentially also further alignment down the line on uh, what's required of companies in terms of uh, transparency um, on, on these ESG topics and factors. Well, time will tell how this all plays out and as both of you pointed out, out. Some groundwork has already been laid. Progress has been made with respect to some of these executive orders, but we'll need to see as well what comes out of Congress in terms of firm legislation. So something we'll track very closely in the coming months. Now, if we look out further over the next year, and again, I think back to the investor demand, the performance we had talked about with respect to 2020, very encouraging, and that momentum seems to be continuing on a going forward basis. Dan, what are you most excited about in the context of sustainability? Yeah, so you know, for me, I think that, that that's kind of an easy one. Um, I, I think when I think about what I'm most excited about, kind of near term, for, for me, it, it's the opportunity to um, engage with company management teams for for impact. Um, you know, we we've always believed that um, large publicly traded companies are are incredibly important agents of social change uh, because of their their size, their breadth, and, and their influence, um, including their their influence in political processes and governments around the world. Um, and six or seven years ago. Most corporations, you know, these, these big companies, they, they weren't really as concerned about engaging with investors on social issues. Um, I, I think that reflected again more of that shareholder dominant view that I've, you know, I've kind of mentioned once or twice. But, you know, over the years, as, as they've heard from their customers and they've heard from their employees and they've heard from, you know, governments um, around the world, I think it's, it's gradually dawned on a lot of them that they really need to take social issues um, like diversity and inclusion or, or, you know, whether it's carbon emissions and how they treat 
treat the environment. They, right? They need to, to take these things much more seriously. And I think shareholders like me, who you know, who represent um, uh, you know clients who care about the, these these um, about social impact, um, you know, as, as Amantia mentioned, there, there's been a you know tremendous amount of, of of inflow into funds like that that are taking impact or social objectives into account, and so. That's put pressure on companies, and 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 we have really seen them change their tune about a lot about a lot of things, um, like their willingness to disclose information and be more transparent. All right, it's not perfect, but it's getting better. Um, um, about their willingness to implement more socially positive policies, again, maybe around things like diversity or including ESG metrics into their own executive compensation plans. Um, and, and, and so, um, and, and again, 2020, I think in the events that we all went through and the experiences that we've gone through in, in, you know, over the last year and it, you know, has, has really put an exclamation point on that. And, and I think that that's really opened up a whole additional dimension of value that investors like me can add for our clients. Um, and, and so I'm, you know, that I'd say of, of all the things that I can think about in, in 2021, you know, that, that's something that I think I'm, I'm really particularly excited about. Thank you, Dan. And Amantia, same question. What are you most excited about in context of sustainability over the next year? Sure, and it's such a great question as we're we're still in January and, and, and we have much to look forward to, I think, in all contexts. But in terms of sustainability. Um, we overall, I mean, we retain our positive outlook for sustainable investing in the year ahead and, and sustainable investing remains our UBS preferred solution for clients that are looking to invest globally. And so, what, you know, what does it mean? More specifically, there are quite a few things that we're looking forward to seeing develop. Um, one of them is in the fixed income space that I mentioned. I, I kind of noted the growth of the green social and sustainability bond um, space and, and we expect that markets to hit one trillion US dollars quite soon and to continue developing not just in size but but also in, in how it's how uh, in, in terms of the, the innovation of these instruments and how fixed income can uh, can be tied to help advance um, sustainability goals. Um, another thing that um, we're, we're interested in following and excited about is actually tied to a development we saw um, last month, which was um, the start of the water future spot market in, in California, with water now joining uh, other tradable commodities such as gold or, or oil uh, and can be traded. Now, the market itself is is still uh, has relatively low liquidity. Um, however, what it symbolizes is really the fact that these large sustainability challenges, such as water scarcity, which is an issue that not only impacts us all, but also is closely tied to economic development because it's critical to agricultural development. Um, how how the market can sort of can innovate and come uh, provide solutions for addressing these types of sustainability challenges and how they really this is another symbol of how they're coming up at top of the agenda. And so you know, in light of this, we think that overall, um, lots of sustainable investment opportunities exist in, in in areas that are tied to, for example, water supply systems or or even agriculture in light of um, the need for more innovation when it comes to precision agriculture or 
or, you know, uh, just kind of more broadly the ongoing food revolution that we're experiencing and we think will bring uh, interesting opportunities for investors. Uh, um, and I really, I could go on and on here and, um, and, and just kind of touch upon all of the areas, but I think a lot of it is, is also all of the things we're excited about are tied to what we were talking about just now, how um, governments and investors are all kind of narrowing, really uh, focusing in on sustainability, and we expect uh, that the additional support and additional attention will, will bring lots of uh, opportunities across all of these sustainable investing strategies and, and uh, sustainable themes. Well, there is certainly a lot to talk about. Good news is we'll have plenty more podcasts ahead of us where we can talk about some of these themes. And I know at UBS, sustainable investing is our preferred form of investing. So it's wonderful how our firm shares those values with AB Alliance Bernstein. But Dan and Demonte, it was really great catching up with you both on the podcast today. Very much appreciate your insights, reflections, as well as outlooks on the sustainable investing space. Clearly a lot to be excited about and looking forward to tracking further progress in the space and even revisiting our conversation down the pike. Although, thank you for your time today. Appreciate it. Thanks. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks for the great conversation. Absolutely. And again, today we have been joined by Amantia Muhadini, Sustainable Investing Strategist for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office, as well as Dan Rorty, Chief Investment Officer for Sustainable Thematic Equities for Alliance Bernstein, or AB. As a reminder to our clients and listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office authors a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO. That includes the latest Sustainable Investing Perspectives publication. So for UBS clients, you can also contact your financial advisor if you would like to learn more about the publication or receive a copy of any of the publications and blogs directly. Sustainable Investing Perspectives is part of the UBS Conversations podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes and Spotify. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliates. The views and opinions expressed in this material by external guest speakers are those of the author, speaker, and are not those of UBS, its subsidiaries, or affiliates. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over the content of this material or any claims, losses, or damages arising from the use or reliance of all or any part thereof. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient, and is published for informational purposes only. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer. 